Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, the tables are turned and I am being interviewed. I'm joining Valerie Bowden on her podcast. She is the CEO and founder of Cradle, which is spelled C-R-D-L-E dot com. Valerie has her own podcast, which is called What I Didn't Know About Africa. Valerie has an incredible story. She backpacked around Africa when she was young, when she was solo, and settled in Africa and was enamored by Africa and I believe settled in Ethiopia for a number of years since. As a result of her love for the continent, she built Cradle, which is a business connecting African talent to businesses around the world. One of the core business lines now for that business is outsourcing of staffing and the incredible talent that she has found right across the African continent. So Valerie was actually on our podcast not that long ago on episode 416. If you want to hear her entire story, her journey through Africa and her development of Cradle. This time I'm joining Valerie on her podcast and I suppose going a little bit into my origin story and diving deep on my thoughts and passions for outsourcing. I do get a little bit passionate in these times. I go on some long monologues, which I apologize for, um, but hopefully you will find it valuable and a valuable insight into what I really think about the opportunities for outsourcing, uh, as well for the opportunities of emerging markets in outsourcing, such as Africa and a lot of other developing nations. So I had a really great conversation with Valerie. Uh, as always, I hope you enjoy. If you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of What I Didn't Know About Africa. And this episode is incredible. I had the opportunity to interview Derek Gallimore. If you don't know him, he is one of the biggest experts and advocates of the outsourcing industry. In fact, before I even launched this podcast, I wrote down a list of dream guests that I would love to have on this show. And he was one of the first names that I wrote down. So I was so honored and excited when he said yes to come on the show. He is the founder of Outsource Accelerator, which is the Alibaba of outsourcing. They recently had their outsourcing impact review and our company Cradle was one of the finalists and winners for the DE&I category. He's also an author. He wrote the book Inside Outsourcing, which you can get on Amazon. It's really good. I highly recommend checking it out. And he is so good at what he does that entire countries come to him wanting him to help build up their digital economy. In this episode, we talk about outsourcing, how it can support business leaders, what the critics have to say. He also shares his vision of a singular global talent economy, which is fascinating to think about. So I think you're really going to enjoy this if you're a business leader, if you've ever thought about outsourcing, or if you're just curious about the future of work. This episode is going to be um, really exciting and interesting to listen to. So let's dive into it. Hi, Derek. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Valerie. Super keen, super happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm so excited that you're here. I have so many questions, but I want to start back in 2011 when you first got into outsourcing. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Because I think a lot of business leaders would relate to the problem you had then. 
Yeah, my own journey um, started with, I had a hotel hospitality business in central London. And obviously London salaries are very expensive. And um, I needed 24-7 customer service, which is somewhat unique to the hotel hospitality because you're getting um, sales and bookings from all these different time zones. And then, of course, hotels are fundamentally a 24-7 business. And I was just looking at the numbers and I'm like, there's no way you can make this work on London salaries and no one in London wants to work night shift. Uh, so I had a business friend and he suggested uh, Philippines. And, um, you know, back then it was kind of, you kind of heard of stuff like that and you've kind of heard of Upwork and Upload, uh, Upwork. But um, I explored it and realized that there's this whole industry over there that caters to businesses. And it, it's not just kind of people sitting in mud huts, but there's this incredibly sophisticated industry and not necessarily just these big call centers. You could have what's referred to as staff augmentation or staff leasing. Uh, and so I I did that. Um, I saw the power of that, which is consistent with most business people. Like they kind of, they dabble in it. They're a little bit scared. And then as soon as they start, they're like, wow, this is incredible. There's There's no going back after this. And so I did that. I got, you know, one or two staff as you do. You get through the sort of learning curve and, and the sort of a few bumps. Uh, and then very quickly, I realized that I could hire every single staff member or the vast majority of staff offshore in the Philippines. And I did that. And despite me running effectively a hotel hospitality in central London, where there's obviously a lot of physical need, I moved every possible role over to the Philippines. And that was, you know, corporate bookings and um, HR and website and digital and, um, but also sort of a lot of maintenance. And we would do a lot of housekeeping from the Philippines. It sounds ridiculous, but as much of the rostering, as much of the logistics as we could from the Philippines. Uh, and then I really just had sort of a, a, a skeleton crew in London because of obviously the, the expense. So, yeah, that was my start. And, you know, very soon we had a bigger team in the Philippines and in London, uh, and that worked out very well. That's amazing. And one of the questions I always get is, um, is it hurting, like, the local economy or, like, the the internal team members? But um, how did outsourcing to the Philippines help you create like, a stronger company in in the uk serve your customers better serve your in-house employees better how were they supported yeah look it, it's difficult there is an imperative that companies are profitable and in today you know it's actually rare if the company is profitable most of them are sort of um, supported by vcs and public markets and stuff like that you have to run an efficient company and you cannot run away from efficiency and if there are cheaper better alternatives you have to be a very strong, proud company to, to sort of um, go the other way. Uh, and look, the reality is that there are 8 billion people on the planet and there are a hell of a lot of capable, highly educated, highly competent people out there that um, expect and exist on a fraction of what people expect in the US or UK. Is it fair? Absolutely not. But also, it's it's wrong to say that it just hollows out the um, the home market. You know, whether that's the UK or US, absolutely incorrect. You know, businesses work on efficiency. So if you can get efficient inputs, whether it's you know you're manufacturing and you get the cars manufactured overseas, or whether the inputs are staffing and you get the professionals from overseas, you build a stronger, more efficient, more effective company 
which means that your company can get bigger, it can make more profits, it can make more taxes, and it can be stronger for your home community as well. So it is, um, you know, it, it, it's a positive cycle. It's not just hollowing out the uh, the home economy. And ultimately, you know, we can talk about this, but ultimately I believe that we are becoming, um, there will no longer be borders, you know, whether it's 10 years or 100 years. Um, the, the concept of sort of bordered um, economics will will go away and people will be employed based on their capabilities um, instead of the lottery of where they were born. Uh, so I think that's yeah. where we're progressing. And that's better for everyone, actually. That will create a far better, far more network society, which brings a lot of value for all of the participants. Yes, you were the one that taught me the phrase global talent economy. And I've never stopped using it since I heard you say it. And it makes a lot of sense to me that eventually we just hire from anyone in the world, whoever is the best candidate. And it's not based on location. And the more I get into this, the more I feel like it's it's almost about equality as well. Like why why can someone in Zimbabwe not get a job for a US company even though they're more qualified than the other candidates? Like it's starting to feel unfair. Do you feel like there's like equality behind it? Or is it just more about like efficiency? Walk me through more about there's this. No, there's no sense to it. Um, you know, it, it goes, it unfortunately goes back to basic tribalism. We prefer us much more than them. We are skeptical of them because they are not us, you know, and that is basic tribalism. You, you know, you are um, sort of aligned with your tribe and you are fearful of anyone else. And you know, as nation states, well, as villages sort of popped up, then that became the case. As nation states popped up, they created borders, they created sort of um, migration rules according to that. Of course, when sort of, you know, they limited labor flows according to that. Um, and so it's very, very deep seated. What you find though, there's this massive hypocrisy because for, you know, at least 50 years now, or ever since it was really sort of commercially available, We've been manufacturing offshore and, you know, America especially has been hitched up on cheap Chinese, Japanese manufacturing so that you get, you know, all of your computers, all of your cars, all of your um, vegetables, all of your produce is made overseas. And that is kind of accepted and it's also efficient. But if you get someone working for you from overseas, then that's all of a sudden highly controversial and you're taking jobs, you know, and, and there's this massive hypocrisy. And what people don't realize is, is a product is almost like a battery. It has um, human input into that product and then you buy that product. But ultimately, all you're buying is the produce of or, or the output of people's man hours. And so um, as the world moves over to more of a service economy, you are getting more, you're just buying the man hours direct. And suddenly that is controversial because previously there were border controls stopping migration and highly sort of politicized um, quotas on how many people can come and go. And now that everything is digital and it is service-based and it is online, those old migration controls that have been in place for literally hundreds or thousands of years are no longer valid and cannot be policed. And so it's kind of people are freaking out and they're like, you know, what does this mean? Because ultimately it comes back to that, this tribal thing, you know, well, they're, they're them and we're us. So how do we keep us apart? And the reality is we're all 
just the same, you know, and, and soon, you know, before it used to be fighting village against village, then it was sort of, I don't know, bigger area against bigger area. Then it was country against country. Um, and soon it will be world against world when we find another world to fight against. But I, I really believe that we will become sort of more um, homogenized in terms of just realizing that we are all the same uh, and opportunities will level out um, through this kind of globalization. That's, you know, that's the, that's the hope anyway. That actually, that makes so much sense. So today I ran a poll on LinkedIn about what is your biggest concern about hiring overseas. And so the options were like, do you not trust the skills, the accent? Have you had a previous bad experience? And the number one answer was trust, that they just don't trust someone overseas. So how do you, how do you get past that and cultivate trusting someone that you've never worked with who's in a different country? It's very hard, actually. I mean, we work with um, outsourcing firms from all over the world. And to some extent now, we're actually working with countries across the world because they all want to get into this incredible economic engine that is that is outsourcing or offshoring. Um, and, you know, I kind of took for granted. I, I sort of started with Philippines and I'm now living in the Philippines. You take for granted the brand cachet that the Philippines has actually built over the last 20 or 30 years in doing outsourcing. And it's a bit of a double-edged sword, like, you know, people sort of roll their eyes at Filipino VAs, but also at least it has a credibility. You know, people, it's almost like a brand, you know, like people talk about Filipino VAs and stuff like that. And so there's this incredible cachet and people are fundamentally a little bit resistant, but at least they kind of go, well, if it's been happening for 20 or 30 years. Now, when you introduce a new country, you know, like, like, um, I don't know, Nigeria or Bangladesh or Uzbekistan, people go, hey, hold on, that, that quite doesn't fit my mold. And because I don't know them, they must be scary and dangerous, you know? And so um, it it is hard and it's about building, un- just like a business, it's then about building that brand, that credibility, that trust, um, that track record, um, those case studies for the country. You know, and and it's very difficult to sort of accelerate that. And you know, it took Philippines twenty or thirty years, and and other countries need to just slowly do that as well. It's it's hard, but it's it's doable. And the way that you do it is just by doing good work and and you know, making happy customers. Unfortunately, there's no no great hack to it. If you were so, if you were in charge of, I guess improving the image of outsourcing in Africa, like the whole continent, or even just like a, spe- a specialized country, what would be the first things you would, you would do? It's difficult, you know, and, and I have actually had these conversations now with about eight countries, probably about three of which are from Africa. Um, and, you know, I sort of being a little bit verbose, but I talk about Qatar that is trying to get on the world map and trying to get credibility in the world. You know, the way that they do it is part of the way is, is that they got a sports team. They've got a football team. They paid 200 million for Ronaldo, you know, and all this. And luckily they have a ton of money, but what they've realized is you just need to, you know, you need to get those product endorsements by rich and famous people. You need to do all of these things, build nice buildings and, the the short story is it doesn't come quick and it doesn't come cheap because you don't exist in isolation either. 
because you know the established crowd, whether it be Philippines or India or Vietnam, they're not going to let go and say, you know, have my multi-billion-dollar industry that's propping up our country. They're going to be competing against you. So, um, you know, but in short, you have to build the industry. You have to, you know, and there are sort of stepping stones towards this, but fundamentally you have to have the foundation there for an industry. So you do need reasonable buildings and infrastructure. You need reasonable electricity. You need reasonable internet. You need reasonable number of good candidates that speak English or whatever language you're going to cater to. You need a reasonable education system that can then, you know, fill the roles as as people grow and mature. Um, you know, and that's just sort of the shortlist, which for America is no problem. You take that for granted. But for, you know, a lot of these emerging countries, it's like, how do you figure out the education system quickly and cheaply? You know, um, so they are kind of big hurdles. And, and also the outsourcing industry is... Um, uh, you know, it, it is sensitive to the plight of the nation, but I really believe that the, the core motivation is if, if you do us well, then we will pay you. And that's where it ends. You know what I mean? It's sort of, we're happy to rebuild your nation, but first and foremost, you've got to be able to do the job well. Um, right. And so, you know, it just basically lead by having good infrastructure, good people that can do the work and then just do work. Um, yeah. Um, but it is, it, it's hard. Yeah. It is hard. I'm surprised that there's not more, um, or I haven't seen as much like aid or grants or funding to, to like build digital economies. Have you seen that? Like, I'm surprised like more like USAID and Gates Foundation and other big, large organizations aren't coming on board to support outsourcing more because it, to me, it just makes so much sense for that, for the impact that it makes. Yes. Yeah, no, it is interesting actually. Um, it's because I, I think it's it's a double-edged sword because it's also seen as controversial because, you know, when there's unemployment levels at home, you know, Bill Gates doesn't want to be the guy that's giving all the Africans jobs while at home people can't feed their family, you know. So I think that – but, yeah, I, I agree, you know, and the, the best way to, um, to, you know, to teach people to – to look after themselves is, is by building sort of good fundamental economies. Um, and I think outsourcing is, is the key to that. But I do see that, you know, like I've had conversations with those eight or 10 countries, and I think all of the countries are realizing that um, this is the gateway to economic prosperity and the government's realizing they need to double down on it. And then I think by sort of default, the government can get the resources whether it's from their own government or through sort of whatever the, you know, these international um, associations that, that help them develop. So I think it will come through. Um, but also, you know, what we have to be, sorry, what we have to be careful of is a lot of these people lead by saying, we have a lot of people, we can help you, you know, they're ready to work. And that has to be, it's kind of, that's a given and that's only the beginning because everyone has a lot of people. You know, India's got 1.5 billion people. China's got 1.5 billion people. To some extent, having the people is not the opportunity. It's actually the burden. 
And so it's like, well, what do you have beyond that? And how do you make clients really, you know, how do you turn their heads? Because um, it can't just lead with this argument. We have the people and we're all desperate to work. You know, it, it's got to right. go beyond that kind of thing. You know. Yeah, that makes, a, that makes a lot of sense to me. For, um, for the countries that are coming to you, which I think is so amazing, actually. I, were you like astonished the first time a country came to you and asked for help to build up their outsourcing industry? Like that's pretty. Yeah, it's lucky. it's kind of cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's you know, it's never the the president, <laughs> but it's it's always um, you know either the association. Uh, so you know, it, it's good when countries have an association mm-hmm. or whatever I, IT outsourcing or. Um, um, but yeah, no, it's 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 brilliant. It's brilliant, um, and it's really really exciting. Um, but I think it is. You know, it's even more exciting for these countries when they realize because the fundamental problem is countries are sort of locked into their own domestic economy. And when you have a very look, little crappy economy, it's very difficult to get that flywheel going. But now, only in the last 10 years, or you now have this opportunity, you can kind of, despite how crappy your economy is, you can open a laptop, go online and tap into not just one economy, but but every single economy in the world and, and the most strongest economies in the world with the highest pay rates. And that is so incredible. And that's only been available for 10 years. And now people are realizing actually that can generate billions of dollars of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's so, so powerful. So hopefully it will start this flywheel of, of countries doing this. Mm-hmm. I, I bet so. I mean, the impact is massive in terms of, employment, education. I mean, tell me some more of the things that you think it opens up the door to, to help countries um, develop. Yeah, look, um, fundamentally, you know, and I, I speak pretty straight. It's, it's once you have cheap resources or affordable resources, then you as a company, you as an enterprise can actually go so much further. You know, Elon, like everyone says, oh my God, you know, resources are scarce and stuff like that. It, it's actually people that are scarce. And um, the more people that you put, we are all just people and, and companies exist to serve people and to serve people as investors and to serve people as consumers. And the more people then that you put into that machine, the bigger the machine gets for everyone. Um, and everyone sort of is worried that, oh my God, there's too many, too many people. But the birth rates in all of the developed countries are negative. And there is a massive, massive concern over the next sort of 50 years that most of the developed nations won't be able to support themselves because all the boomers are going to get old. They're going to all retire. They're not going to be contributing. The birth rates are super low so that actually there's no new people coming into the system. You're going to have negative growth rates where countries are contracting instead of growing and the sort of the growing majority of people will be retired and not working so you need more people and elon musk has suggested you know actually we all need to have 11 children like he is or we need to make robots because there's not going to be enough people to do the work and the reality is there's there's tons of work you don't need to build a robot just go to africa you know what i mean like there's there's still it just needs redistributing. And then as you put more people into the machine, both as producers 
but then it spits out more consumers, which makes the machine bigger. So um, it's it's this positive flywheel um, right. that will benefit everyone, really. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I um, to switch gears a little bit. So I was watching the outsourcing impact awards, and we were, I mean, yeah. we were so excited to be one of the the finalists. Um, it was really, really exciting. But watching the award ceremony was oddly like so emotional for me because I I'm so aware of the impact we're making. So to see so many other outsourcing companies in different countries and different industries creating such a positive impact with on the environment for military spouses, for education for the youth. I was so proud to be part of the industry. Um, it was really cool. Will you tell me more about like why you guys wanted to launch the um, award ceremony, like what prompted it and what has come out of it? Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations, of course, to you, Valerie. It's, it's amazing that, you know, you are um, participating in this, you know, and, and as well, like a small company, um, you know, you are also conscious of giving back to the community. So that that's really powerful. Um, the OIR, which is the Outsourcing Impact Review, the intention of that really is to kind of generate a catalogue of industry impact, positive impact, and activity. And because the industry is generally so poorly received, you know, we do a lot of advertising into the West, you know, sort of suggesting people hire staff and get offshore staff. And we get incredible kickback from so many people saying that we are terrorists, saying that we are traitors, saying that, you know, outsourcing is slave labor saying that it's completely unethical what we are doing. You know, and it's just incredible because it seems that everyone outside of the industry thinks that it's this crazy wet shop slave labor mm-hmm. and everyone in the industry sees the incredible work that's being done, you know, um, directly for the employees of the company, but then indirectly for, for their families, for the communities, and then, you know, these impact projects external to that that, that just benefit things. And people in the industry realize that this, it's the most powerful tool for alleviating poverty and developing economies. And so I just wanted to sort of try and encapsulate that in a report. And, you know, it, it's the first year. Um, so I hope that, you know, as, as it grows sort of 10 years from now, then there will be far more participation. And, and we just kind of get to highlight how much positive activity the industry electively um, creates for for the participants and for the broader community. Uh, and hopefully that will sort of shift a lot of the negative kind of um, connotation around around outsourcing. Um, so yeah, that was that was the kernel of the idea. And yeah, very, very proud of the results and also the participants at Valerie. It was amazing. Yeah, all the participants were doing really cool things. The award ceremony, the, like the report, everything was really good. I think, it, in my opinion, it's that people just don't really understand outsourcing. And and so on the outside, it looks like it's taking away jobs. But when you're actually doing it, for us, like our clients would never be able to hire for the positions. And so it just get put on the, the employees who are like then more stressed out, more, <laughs> more burdened. And we've always found that companies make more money the employees make more money because they're not working for a profitable company. 
we're creating a job for someone who didn't have a job before. Like it's like a win, win, win on all sides. So I think like initiatives like this kind of helped show that. And yeah, it was really cool to see. No, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And the report is available online, of course. And, you know, we, what we wanted to do with the report was uh, a little bit like humans in New York. You know, we wanted to highlight individual stories and, and they say that's far more effective for really connecting with people and with people's missions. But then also importantly, I, I didn't just want nice stories. I, I wanted to sort of try and quantify each of the contributions so that we could come up with a number. And that's really difficult, you know, when you're comparing, I don't know, some, you know, like an education initiative to feeding children initiative to um, even just staff training initiative. How do you compare those um, and add them up to a number that, that sort of, it, it's very difficult because there can be such disparate activities. So really proud of the team. They um, did a, you know, built a wonderful methodology to, to try and contain that into sort of something that can be measured. And then of course, compared year to year and, and um, we can then measure the growth. So yeah, it's, it's well, exciting. I would tell everyone the video, the award ceremony is on YouTube. So you can actually just see all the stories and it, it's really well worth watching. Um, where do you see, um, where do you see outsourced accelerator in three to five years from now? What is like your vision for how you want to grow it? Yeah, so we are, we're a marketplace for the outsourcing industry. And unlike Upwork, for example, we don't, we don't connect people with the individual workers. We connect people with outsourcing firms, such as yours, Valerie. And, um, you know, that is the approach we take because we feel that you can get much better outsourcing done when you are, um, integrating with a firm and, and they are partnering with you. So we, we're just growing our platform. Where I see the opportunity is, you know, and I, I look to kind of Alibaba, I look to Amazon. The reality is when there is an industry, and this is a big industry, it's a $250 billion industry, it's been going, you know, 30 plus years, um, but not a lot of people know about it. And it's kind of hard to access to the normal business. And I believe that with an effective marketplace, and there is no marketplace other than us, it can actually help um, demystify the industry to the average business and business owner. It can make accessing the industry so much easier. Uh, it can build a layer of trust um, and sort of reduce friction to getting on board. And I really believe that a marketplace, if done well, can significantly multiply the size of the industry. Uh, and you see that with Alibaba and Amazon and, you know, it, it doesn't just do the job well, it multiplies the industry far beyond what the industry ever could have done by itself. So, um, look, I believe big picture that in, uh, sort of, you know, 20 years that every or the vast majority of businesses will outsource or offshore by default. Mm. Um, and in the U S that's about 40 million businesses, um, that currently aren't outsourcing. And obviously, if every business just has one offshore role, then that's another 14 million jobs. So the potential impact, which is worth about 600 billion per year. So the potential impact on, on the world, on the global economy is, is tremendous. Uh, and I just hope that we can help, uh, catalyze that as a, as a business.
You will. And on a side note, I also have to say that your newsletter is the only newsletter I actually read religiously. Um, It's like funny. It's entertaining. I learn something. I feel like up to date on friends. I actually forward it to people and tell them to sign up. And I don't do that for any other newsletter. So you guys are um, doing amazing with that as well. And it's amazing. Thank you. And we actually have a newsletter that's industry facing. And then we also have a newsletter that's uh, client facing as well. So uh, that's great. Thanks. Great. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, just to wind down. So I asked all of our guests the three same questions. So I'm going to start with um, the first one, which is if you could travel anywhere in Africa, where would you go? Oh my gosh. You're putting me on the spot. I haven't done, I've traveled a lot and I've only really been to sub Egypt and the top of Africa. So I would really enjoy going through the whole thing. Honestly, I suppose I would start with South Africa um, and work up. I don't know if that's... Uh, that's what I tell people to do. Start with South Africa. Africa. There's so many great countries. Um, I'll make you an itinerary of where to That'd go. But South Africa is amazing. Um, fantastic. Okay. So the second question we always ask is, we always say, what's one thing you wish everyone knew about Africa? But maybe for you, we could switch and say, what's one thing you wish everyone knew about outsourcing? Yeah, just that um, it's not, it's just staffing. It's just employment. It's just that these people are sitting in a different location um, and not sort of overcomplicated, not be too scared of it and just get started. It's just, it's almost identical to employment uh, and, you know, it's easy. Just just get started with it and, and give it a go because you will never look back. I agree. I think everyone who starts with us starts with like two people and then they're up to 10, like within a few months, mm-hmm. because it's just that just that initial hump of getting over it. And then after that, you realize how well it works, like your own story. You just ended up scaling and scaling it up. So that's fantastic. Sure. Okay. Last question. Um, what is one thing you're curious to learn or to explore about Africa? African countries, whether it's a specific country or a continent in general, what's the thing that one thing that you want to know? Um, I, I just need to know more about the continent, to be honest. It's kind of a continent that I have passed over and I, I feel so bad in saying that, but, um, even, you know, I, and I have traveled extensively, but I, I'd love to go to the game reserves and see the country and see the people. And, um, you know, a couple of these countries that I've spoken to have invited me to their conferences. So I, I really do hope to get over there in 2024. Really excited to learn more about the the country uh, and the people and, and you know, the, the sort of economic engines that drive it. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. I found that every African country is so different than its neighbor. And the BPO industry within each country is really different. And the type of talent that it's easy to source from is different. So I think you would you would have such an interesting experience um, getting into that. So that's fantastic. So 2024 is your year to explore Africa. I love it. Um, yeah, I certainly hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, well, tell everyone where they can find you, um, social media handles, website. You have a book on Amazon as well. So share how we can get in touch with you. Sure. Yeah. The website is outsourceaccelerator.com. If you're interested in outsourcing, you can get uh, free quotes there. We list about 3,000 outsourcing firms as well. Uh, I wrote a book called Inside Outsourcing, which is really just sort of exploring the whole evolution of outsourcing and how it can transform businesses. Uh, that's available on Amazon. And if people want to reach out to the conversation, I'm maybe on LinkedIn, uh, Derek Gallimore. 
uh, reach out and happy to connect. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Derek. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Valerie. Great to chat. That was Valerie Bowden. She is the CEO and founder of Cradle, which is spelled C-R-D-L-E dot com. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to ask us anything, just drop us an email to ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.